We come this morning to Ezekiel chapter 13. It's a typo in the bulletin there. That's uh, Ezekiel 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 16. Ezekiel 13, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. They have envisioned futility and false divination, saying, Thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope that the word may be confirmed. Have you not seen a futile vision? And have you not spoken false divination? You say the Lord says, but I have not spoken. Therefore thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, therefore I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. Because, indeed, because they have seduced my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. And one builds a wall, and they plaster it with untempered mortar. Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall. There will be flooding rain. And you, O great hailstones, shall fall. And a stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely, when the wall has fallen, will it not be said? To you, where is the mortar with which you plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury, and there shall be a flooding rain in my anger, and great hailstones in fury to consume it. So I will break down the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be uncovered. It will fall and you shall be consumed in the midst of it, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I accomplish my wrath on the wall and on those who have plastered it with untempered mortar. And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who plastered it, that is, the prophets of Israel who prophesy concerning Jerusalem and who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, says the Lord God. So far the reading of His Holy Word. During the years of the Protestant Reformation, one of the things that deeply disturbed Martin Luther was the corruption of the clergy. He saw leaders in the Roman Catholic Church who were largely ignorant of the Scriptures, and who serve the church only for the sake of money, property, popularity, and honor. Luther referred to such men as hirelings who jabber in the pulpit 
but who do not proclaim the truth because they love their belly and this temporal life more than Christ. Luther was appalled by those who failed to faithfully proclaim the Word of God. He called the leaders of the church to repent of their sin and return to the plain teaching of Scripture. He had the courage to expose the sins of the clergy and to warn them of the judgment that would fall upon those who remained unfaithful. Congregation, the corruption of the clergy that Luther experienced in his day is also very evident today. There are some television preachers who draw massive crowds, but their message is not sound. Some of you probably remember Robert Schuller, who pastored the 10,000-member Crystal Cathedral in California. They constructed this $30 million building and had a weekly television program. But sadly, Schuller unashamedly preached a man-centered rather than a God-centered message. He refused to speak of sin and repentance. In fact, Schuller said that if a person believes he is an unworthy sinner, it is doubtful if he can really honestly accept the saving grace of God offered in Jesus Christ. Schuller addressed a huge audience but he would not tell them that they were unworthy sinners or call them to repentance. He was a very influential man, but his message was not true to the Word of God. Many of you have heard of Betty Hinn, another man who has attracted large crowds. He's not only performed false miracles, but he has also taught blatant heresy. Because he is so well-liked, he has deceived and misled numerous people. In congregation, there are many other leaders like the late Schuler, Betty Hinn, Joel Osteen, who are able to put on impressive performances, but are not accurately teaching the foundational truths of the Word of God. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans 16, verse 18, by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Well, brothers and sisters, from our scripture reading, we see that false teachers were also a problem in the days of the prophet Ezekiel. God's people were misled by those who spoke deceptive, lying words. I want us to focus on the first 16 verses of Ezekiel 13, where we find a prophecy against prophets. First, we have God's valuation of the prophets in verses 1 through 7. Second, we hear God's denunciation of the prophets in verses 8 to 16. We begin with God's evaluation. God's evaluation. If you have ever had the task of having to confront a church member because of their sin, you know that it can be a very difficult experience. It's not easy to try to correct someone who is wayward, to come to them with a word, especially when they have shown themselves to be hard and unwilling to change. That you can imagine how difficult it must have been for Ezekiel to confront not merely another church member, but to confront the leaders of the church, spiritual leaders in Israel. As Ezekiel dwelt by the river Chebar in Babylon, the word of the Lord came to him. What did God say? Go to verse 2. Verse 2. Son of man, 
Prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel was called to preach against preachers, to prophesy against prophets. He had to prophesy not only to the people in general, but to those who were leaders. This is one of the most difficult tasks that a preacher could possibly have. Now, congregation, why did Ezekiel have to prophesy against the prophets? In these verses, the Lord gives several reasons. First, because they delivered a false message. Look again at verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy, and say to those who prophesy, out of their own heart. You see that? There were prophets in Israel who claimed to be messengers of God, but had no message from God. They were prophesying out of their own heart, or as some translations have it, they were prophesying out of their own imagination. They made statements and predictions that were false, words that were not inspired by God whatsoever. They had not received a vision. They had not been instructed by the Lord. They had received no revelation. Verse 3 says, Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Ezekiel himself had received direct revelation from the Lord. Verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came to me. Verse 2 says, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 3, thus says the Lord God. Ezekiel did not prophesy out of his own imagination. He proclaimed only that which God had revealed. By contrast, these prophets made up their own message. Brothers and sisters, this wasn't a minor offense for a prophet of the Lord. It was very serious. Keep your finger in at Ezekiel 13 and turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 18. Just how serious was this? What's God's view of it? Deuteronomy chapter 18. And listen to the words of verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, that prophet shall die. Now hold it open there for a moment. To speak in the name of the Lord falsely was a sin that warranted the sentence of death. The Lord was not to be misrepresented. If a prophet did not speak the exact words of God to the people, he had to be put to death. To hear a prophet was to hear the actual words of God. To serve as a prophet in Israel was a very, very important task. Why? It was important because prophets were types of the great prophet who was to come. They pointed forward to Jesus Christ. Look again at Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18 contains a prediction of Jesus Christ when it says, verse 15, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Verse 18b, 
I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Verse 19, and it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. We know that these words of Deuteronomy 18 are a prediction of Christ because the New Testament spells it out. Acts chapter 3 verse 22 says, the prophet is Christ. And so the prophets of the Old Testament served as types of the great prophet Jesus Christ. Because they were types, it was very important that they speak only what God commanded them to speak. The Israelites were to see in the prophets a picture of Christ who came to reveal the will of the Father. By delivering a false message and prophesying out of their own imagination, the prophets at the time of Ezekiel not only misrepresented God, but they also presented a distorted picture of the great prophet, Jesus Christ. Therefore, they deserve to die. Second, Why did Ezekiel have to prophesy against the prophets? Because they failed to care for God's people. Go back to Ezekiel. They failed to care for God's people. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Ezekiel 13. O Israel, your prophets are like foxes in the deserts. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. The Lord compared the prophets to foxes. Foxes in the desert do whatever they can to survive without caring for those around them. They devour their prey for the sake of self-preservation. They are greedy, crafty, and vicious. So were the prophets of Israel. Instead of being loving shepherds, they were like foxes. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus compared false prophets to ravenous wolves who attack, kill, and tear apart their prey. In the days of Ezekiel, the prophets, or at least the majority of the prophets, were self-seeking. They failed to care for the flock of God. They were only interested in what they could gain for themselves. Instead of promoting the health of the flock, they destroyed it. The Lord compares them to beasts of prey. Verse 5 further describes their negligence by saying, have a look there, verse 5, you have not gone up into the gaps, the breaches, to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. When the wall of a city was broken through by an invading army, brave men had to stand in the gaps to defend the city. If no one stood in the gaps to defend and repair the breach, the enemy could march right in and destroy the entire city. In the days of Ezekiel, the nation of Israel was like a city ready for destruction. There was a serious breach in the moral and spiritual condition of the nation. The prophet should have stood in the gap and labored to repair the damage so that the wrath of God would be stopped. They should have preached repentance and the demands of the covenant. They should have prayed for the people, interceded for their sake. In this way, the breach may have been repaired and the judgment averted. In Psalm 106, we read of how God 
was angry with the nation of Israel for worshiping the golden calf. In his wrath, he said that he would destroy the people. But then we read in verse 23 of that psalm that Moses, his chosen one, what? Stood in the breach to turn away his wrath. Moses stood in the gap. He interceded for them, pleaded with the Lord, and the people were not destroyed. In that moment, Moses beautifully pictured the work of Jesus Christ. As Moses stood in the gap and interceded for the sinful people, as he stood between the Lord and sinners and turned away the divine anger, so in a much greater way, our Lord Jesus Christ stood in the gap, interceded, and turned away the wrath of God from his people. Jesus Christ is a mediator between God and man. He stood in the breach for you and me. He turned away the wrath of God for our sakes. He brought peace between sinners and an angry God. You see, congregation, that is what the prophets in Israel were to foreshadow. As types of Christ, they should have stood in the gap and pleaded with the Lord for the sake of rebellious Israel. But the Lord says here in verse 5 that they failed to do so. They were unfaithful mediators who failed to care for the spiritual needs of God's people. Then thirdly, Ezekiel had to prophesy against the prophets not only because they delivered a false message and failed to care for the spiritual needs of God's people, but also because the work that they did do was not by God's appointment. The work that they did do was not by God's appointment. Follow along at verse 6. They have envisioned futility and false divination, saying, Thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope that the word may be confirmed. Notice the words in verse 6, but the Lord has not sent them. But the Lord has not sent them. The things that they were busy with were not by God's appointment or design. They made predictions concerning the future, hoping that their predictions would prove to be correct, but it was not by God's command. They were self-appointed men with a self-appointed task. They had visions, predictions, but they were not approved by God. Verse 7 says, have you not seen a futile vision and have you not spoken false, lying, divination? You say the Lord says, but I have not spoken. They were acting like God's representatives, acting as though they had been commissioned by God, but the Lord had not sent them. The work that they did was not by His appointment. And then fourthly, Ezekiel also had to prophesy against the prophets of Israel because they proclaimed false assurance. Because they proclaimed false assurance. Notice verse 10. Because indeed, because they have seduced my people saying peace when there is no peace. The prophet spoke pleasant words. Things that the people wanted to hear. Proclamations of peace. 
They told the people not to worry about God's judgment, that all would be well, even though they continued in their sin. They were like a doctor who tells his patient that all is well, even though the patient has a deadly tumor. The doctor says, you have nothing to worry about, carry on. Meanwhile, the tumor is killing him. The doctor's words sound pleasant and comforting to the patient, but in the end, they prove to be false. The doctor says, you're well, but you're not well. He says, you're healthy, but you're not healthy. He says, carry on, but soon you find yourself suffering from incredible pain and you come to realize that death is very near. Congregation of the prophets in Israel told the people not to fear the power of Babylon. They said the land would soon enjoy rest and prosperity. There would be no harm and danger. By their pleasant words, they not only hardened the people in their sin, but they encouraged them in their idolatrous ways. They continued in their idolatry and continued to provoke the Lord to wrath. There is no true peace without faith in Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, as we consider God's evaluation of the prophets, we can see how these criticisms are very relevant also today. First, we need to beware of those who deliver a false message. There are plenty of preachers who stand up and claim to be ambassadors for God. How do you know? How do you know whether they're true spokesmen for the Lord or not? How do you test if a person is a faithful representative? One theologian said, there's only one touchstone and that is the revelation of God. If the minister does not preach the scriptures or in accordance with them, he is not preaching the word of God. That is the test stone by which to judge, not whether the majority likes it or not, or whether we like it or not, but whether it is scriptural. In effect, the modern minister is prophetic to the extent that he is expounding the word of God. Congregation, there are those today who stand up in the name of the Lord, but their message is not drawn from the Scriptures. There are some people who peddle pop psychology in the name of God. There are some who claim to have revelations and visions, but they are prophesying out of their own imagination. They say, God spoke to me, when God has not spoken at all. They claim God spoke to me when in fact God has given all that we need to know in the completed scriptures. When we open the word, we hear his voice. We need to beware of those who prophesy falsely out of their own imagination. They may sound impressive. They may sound passionate. They may sound convincing. But we need to ask, are they preaching the scriptures? Second, as we consider God's evaluation of the prophets in Israel, we're also reminded of the responsibility that God gives to church leaders to care for the flock of God. God reproved the prophets in verse 5 for not standing in the gaps and repairing the breaches. 
Although church leaders today are not types of Christ, as were the Old Testament prophets, nevertheless, we have a responsibility to call sinners to repentance, to proclaim the demands of the covenant, and to intercede for the sake of our people. Church leaders are called to stand in the gap and to plead with the Lord for the sake of the church. The elders of this church are called to repair the breaches and to care for the spiritual needs of God's people so that their attention will be on Jesus Christ, the supreme shepherd. Third, we can also learn from God's evaluation of the prophets, that those who preach the word must not compromise their message or tailor it to the audience. The prophets are saying, peace, when there was no peace. Those who preach the word must be prepared to to preach not only peace, love, and prosperity, but also sin, repentance, and eternal damnation for the rebellious. There are some preachers today who deny the reality of hell and eternal punishment. They speak of God's grace and kindness, but ignore His righteousness. Their preaching only hardens sinners and makes them feel comfortable in their unbelief. Preachers have no right to preach peace when there is no peace. They have no right to soft-pedal the terrible judgments of the Lord that will fall upon those who resist the gospel. They have no right to tell people that they are well when they are not well. To speak pleasant words to those who are hard-hearted and living in disobedience. Quite a number of years ago, a man told me about a terrible boating accident. Three young men from his church were killed. These three young people were known to be spiritually reckless. They lived in sin and showed little concern for the things of God. They partied often, drank excessively, and showed very little evidence of true spiritual life, little evidence of love for God or the fruit of the Spirit. During the course of the funeral, one of the elders expressed how thankful he was that these young men had been baptized as infants. His further comments seemed to indicate that all was well with their souls. Congregation leaders in the church have no right to preach peace when there is no peace. No right to speak comfortable words regarding those who are spiritually rebellious. No right to speak of God's grace while ignoring His righteousness and justice. Yes, for Rory and Milo to receive baptism is a wonderful privilege. Being brought up, brought into the covenant community and incorporated as members of the visible body of Christ is tremendous. Tremendous. But it's no automatic ticket to heaven. If down the road they show no evidence of true faith, we have no right to suggest that all is well with their soul. As preachers, we're better off saying nothing at all than to preach peace when there is no peace, providing false security. Blessed assurance is only for those who can honestly say, 
Jesus is mine and I'm washed in his blood. And then fourthly, we can also learn from God's evaluation of the prophets in Israel that when false prophets prosper, it is a sad commentary on the community in which they labor. When false prophets prosper, it is a sad commentary on the community in which they labor. False prophets can only prosper when people listen to and accept their words. The reason why the false prophets were so plentiful was because they had eager and willing audiences. The faithful prophet Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of Ezekiel, wrote these words in Jeremiah 5, 31. Listen. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power, and my people love to have it so. And my people love to have it so. Isn't that striking? The people wanted to hear their lies. Words of peace and comfort rather than the truth. They wanted to have warm and fuzzy feelings rather than faithful preaching. They wanted to feel good about themselves rather than hearing about the righteousness of God. Therefore, as one author said, the condemnation of false prophets is equally a condemnation of false congregations. The condemnation of false prophets is equally a condemnation of false congregations. They willingly followed, willingly listened to their lies, and willingly approved of their false prophecies. When a church tolerates false teaching, it's often because they prefer nice words over the painful truth of God's righteous judgments. But then, brothers and sisters, having heard God's evaluation of the prophets, I want us to conclude more briefly by considering God's denunciation of the prophets. God's denunciation. Because most of them were not faithful ambassadors of the Lord, Ezekiel was told that he had to bring them a hard message. Follow along with me, please, in your Bible at verse 8. Verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, <clears throat> because you have spoken nonsense, falsehood, and envisioned lies, therefore I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. The prophets, who should have been close to God, had provoked his anger. Because they had not faithfully proclaimed his will, the Lord said, I am against you. He had become their opponent. And who can stand when God is against you? Verse 9, verse 9, my hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, notice this, nor be written in the record, the registry of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. God said, after the days of captivity are over, some will return to the land, but the foolish prophets will not be among them. They will not be in the assembly. They will not be found in the record of those who return. They will not enter the land. They will be cut off from the covenant people of God. 
These words of verse 9 are very solemn words. You see, the earthly assembly was a picture of the heavenly assembly. The earthly record register was a picture of the heavenly register. The earthly Canaan was a picture of the heavenly Canaan. Therefore, God was saying to the prophets, if you continue this way, you will have no part in the kingdom of God. You will not join the heavenly assembly. Your name will not be found in the book of life, and you will not enter the land of eternal rest. In verses 10 to 16, the Lord compared the work of these prophets to poorly constructed walls which are easily destroyed. When a man builds a wall with poor material and covers the defects with paint or whitewash, the wall may look great, but it will not last. It will not last. Have you ever seen a retaining wall that's poorly constructed? And after a few winters, the wall is bowed out and good for nothing. It's only a matter of time before it collapses. That's how God described the work of the prophets. They build a wall and plaster it with untempered mortar. Some translations say smear it with whitewash. It looks good for a moment, but it will not last. God said, your wall is useless and it's going to fall down. Verse 11b says, flooding, hailstones, and a stormy wind shall tear it down. Congregation, when we preachers proclaim peace, when there is no peace, no evidence of faith in the Prince of Peace, we're only putting fresh paint on a crumbling building. A disintegrating building needs more than a coat of paint or whitewash. It needs to be rebuilt from the foundation. When preachers make their audience feel good, when they are not good, not righteous, we are putting a fresh coat of paint on a wall that will soon collapse. When preachers speak comforting words to careless sinners, we're only covering a flimsy life with a coat of whitewash. God says that such work will not stand. It will not last. A poorly constructed wall covered with paint will not endure. Jesus said in Luke 6, if you build on the rock, the house will stand against the storms. But if you build on the sand without a solid foundation, that house will fall. At the time of Ezekiel, the prophets had built their wall on sand and made it look pretty. But God said, I'm going to consume it. I'm going to break it down. You have made my people feel good when they're not righteous. You have made them feel happy when they're not holy. You have made them feel safe when they're not safe. Therefore, I'm going to destroy the wall along with the prophets who built it. Look at verse 14. Verse 14. So I will break down the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar or smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be uncovered, it will fall, and you shall be consumed in the midst of it. The end of verse 15, and I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who plastered it. 
Brothers and sisters, what a warning this is for those of us who preach the word. And for the church who receives the preaching. Luther said that in his day, the sermons for the most part were superficial. They often included fables or stories and a mixture of pagan philosophy. And they were often told in a vulgar or comical way to amuse the people. Christ was forgotten and the scriptures neglected, said Luther. Luther wrote, Oh, we have had blind preachers for a long time. They have been totally blind themselves and leaders of the blind. As the gospel says, they have left the gospel and followed their own ideas and preferred the work of men to the work of God. Again, speaking of unfaithful preachers, Luther said, These are the lazy and worthless preachers who do not tell the princes and lords their sins. In some cases, they do not notice their sins. They lie down and snore in their office and do nothing that pertains to it except that, like swine, they take up the room where good preachers should stand. Over against this superficial and unfaithful preaching, Luther called for biblical expository preaching. He said it was important to preach systematically through the scriptures. Christ speaks by the preaching of the gospel. Sin must be exposed. The purpose of preaching, said Luther, was to crush the self-righteous and, having done so, to point them to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He regarded preaching as an indispensable means of grace central to the church liturgy. Luther certainly had his faults. But wouldn't it be wonderful if his warning was proclaimed today to churches throughout North America where so often Christ is forgotten of the scriptures neglected blind preachers leading the blind. Congregation, if the men on our pulpits make you feel happy when you are not holy, God will destroy our churches and its messengers. If we preach peace when there is no peace in Christ, no peace through the blood of the cross, as messengers, we will stand condemned before the Lord. The prophets in Israel were not faithful, and the Lord said, I'm against you. I will remove you from the assembly. I will remove you from the record, the register, and I will not allow you to enter the promised land. Then, people of God, I ask you to pray that God would keep the leadership of this church faithful to the Word, that we would unashamedly proclaim the whole counsel of God. Pray that the voice of the chief prophet, Jesus Christ, would be clearly heard in this assembly, and that through the elders' work of the church, the chief prophet would be exalted. For the word is not faithfully proclaimed, the voice of the great prophet is not clearly heard, and Christ is dishonored. Congregation, may the Lord raise up faithful men today to proclaim the scriptures so that the church may be built upon a solid foundation for the glory and honor of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And may the Holy Spirit give to each and every one of you 
ears to hear, and hearts to obey the voice of your prophet. Do you hear him? Do you hear him? Are you living for him? Let us pray. Lord our God, we desire that Christ, the chief prophet, would be exalted in this place. Both by those who are called to preach and by those who have the responsibility to hear. We recognize, Lord, the tremendous responsibility that is placed upon leadership in the church to remain true to Scripture and nothing but Scripture. We also recognize the responsibility of God's people not to receive that which is contrary to Scripture. Lord, we pray that both preachers, both leaders, elders, deacons in the church, as well as the members, that we would have a discerning mind and that we would test all things by your word. We recognize, Lord, those words of denunciation against the prophets, but also against God's people who would have it so. We ask, Lord, convict our hearts, show us our need of Christ, fill us with love for him, that we may joyfully study your word, that we may praise you with joyful lips. Receive us our praises now as we conclude. In the name of Christ, the only Savior, our chief prophet, we pray. Amen.